1: Welcome to GVN's Talking Comics. Here is your host, Martin Sexton. all right. Welcome once again to another installment of GVN's Talking Comics. I am your host, Martin. And today, we are talking to the co-creators of a, uh, actually, a very well-done series called Hot Volley Days and Cocaine Nights by Antarctica Press. And uh, they're getting ready to put out the third uh, and final issue of that series here, here coming in March. And uh, we are proud to talk to the co-creators, Matthew Spradlin and Shawnee DeMott. Welcome to Talking Comics, guys. Nice to meet you. All right. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks,
0: Martin.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right, I appreciate it. Okay, so let's just jump right in here. Now, it's my understanding that uh, this this story is based on actual events, is that correct? Correct. Okay, so, I mean, so how exactly did, I mean, where did, how did you get the story and uh, that kind of break it down for me a little bit exactly uh what uh how you decided to adapt this story to, to a
2: comic book um well the story uh came together i when i was a teenager i was in the valley uh at a party and i had met the the person who's the story is about and uh had spent some time in that circle as an 18 year old and saw a lot of the crazy stuff happening. Uh, I didn't know a lot about the world, but I knew that all the crazy stuff I saw was uh, had, a, had a limited uh, shelf life as far as people being able to uh, live that way. I went to some parties and saw a lot of you know Ferraris in the driveway and, and a lot of crazy backyard parties uh similar to like a a boogie nights movie uh minus the sexual stuff but like the the drugs and the the big hair in the 80s and and I, I was a witness to it and I uh stepped away from it and had heard about everyone getting arrested and the FBI and DEA and all these people getting involved and I had really liked the lady who was the person in charge as a person I thought she was a really good person um and was uh would help people and had a really good heart and I was uh years later reconnected and uh stayed in touch with her and I would always I was always fascinated by just what a crazy story it was and how uh, luck was on her side you know in, in this in this uh path of bad decisions um she made a decision to not want to do that anymore in the, middle, in the middle of the craziness. And, and, you know, the universe or good karma, what you, what you want to call it. Uh, she was the one person that got, got away, you know? And, and so I went and I was obsessed with the story, you know? And, uh, so I went to her and she wanted to be left anonymous and was just trying to live a peaceful, quiet life. And I got the rights. And, um, went to talk to uh, Matthew about it's kind of funny how things work. I went to talk to him about another project and it was a supernatural project and um, met uh, at an office in Hollywood. We had a a mutual friend in the VFX business and, and, uh, and he connected us and I talked to him about this other supernatural thing. And it, it didn't really click for whatever reason. And then, uh, to use the elevator pitch, literally, I uh, I was standing by an elevator after the meeting, and I said, well, hey, what, what, what perks your interest? You know, what do you like? And he was like, I like true stuff, like real stuff. And I was like, all right. Well, and as the elevator was coming up, I said, hey, 15-year-old girl hitchhikes to L.A. from Ohio, early 80s, sleeping on park benches, gets an apartment, her brother moves out, they meet a Colombian... Uh, drug dealer and flash to the next scene she's running this big like hair metal cartel in the middle of the 80s and flying back and forth to New York and he was like man is that real? I go it's a thousand real and he's like I love it <laughs> and, and, and I said it's a real thing man and that's where it started and then uh, Matthew I'll let you kind of hop in from here yeah, so it, you know, when
3: he, when he told me that all of that, then I was like, Okay, this, this sounds like something interesting. So uh, we kept talking about it, and we decided that we wanted to put together the story in a particular kind of way, right. It was, we didn't want to do just an A to B to C biography type like story. You've seen those movies so many times, right? You know, the same things happen at the same point and the same beat and all that. And so there were a couple of uh, older films that that were biography movies that I really enjoy. Um, They're both by Bob Fosse. One of them is Star 80 and the other one is uh, Lenny. It's about Lenny Bruce. And he had flashbacks in the movies, but he doesn't go back to like your regular sort of moments, right? When he does those flashbacks. So it's uh, everything just kind of, we just wanted to construct a story that if we find it, we wanted to start it where she's already on her way out and you're already, you're having to catch up and see where, what led her to that moment of being wanting to get out. And so when we decided to put, you know, put that kind of construction on it. Then we were like, okay, now let's write this thing and got it written. And then uh, through uh, Antarctic Press, we found the right artist and he had never worked on a full book before. And once we got him and one other artist kind of going on it, then we were up and moving to get the comic book made. And then it was a question of, okay, how many issues is this thing gonna be? And then because of, at the time, uh, you know, everybody had been talking about being tired of 22, 24 page issues, comics. We're like, let's just do three issues and pack them full. And that's kind of what got us going on, putting it together.
1: And that's a, you know, you're talking about the flashbacks. That's actually one of the things mm-hmm. I really like about it. Sometimes yeah. you're kind of, it's hard to know exactly like, what happened here. We very clear when we, when you do your flashbacks of exactly what happened and it basically sets up where she's at to that point. And uh and when you're talking about the art uh and I don't want to screw up his name it looks like Fred Karami. Excellent uh artist. Like I said I'm not uh I was blown away actually yeah, by so when, when you brought him aboard did it change yeah. anything he, as far as he uh or did uh basically you give him a script and he just went
3: from there yeah for sure yeah it it actually changed quite a bit because we originally had a different artist on board and he was just having problems um i had used him before um but there were certain problems coming up and i could tell it was a little bit beyond his scope so farid was used at, at first he started off as kind of the b artist and then as you know, he was showing me more and more of his stuff. It was like, oh, wow, you're you're really good and you, you have the right, like, feel and style and the, you're hitting the tone and everything looks just how we want it to look. So we kind of let him loose um, on this and there we gave him very few notes. We I gave him a lot of references uh, from Sean and I both gave him a lot of references about the 80s and about Los Angeles at that time, but We really didn't note him to death too much. Uh, It was really just saying, hey, maybe a splash page for this particular uh, sequence. And maybe this lands on this page to help everybody kind of, you know, if you'll notice like when the flashback ends or a new timeline begins, it usually stops. It starts at the top of the page. We just wanted to make it a little bit easier for people to follow. So other than that, he was just coming up with great ideas. Also, that and the color
1: work of Andrew Crossley, I thought, really, uh, you know, made a pop.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Andrew did, he did a fantastic job on the colors. So, as I was
1: reading through this, uh, I had some thoughts mainly about, you know, your Lisa Janey, And I want to kind of put these out here and then just have us just kind of discuss if this was kind of the, uh, what you were leaning toward. Okay, so number one, I noticed with Janie, she has a strong love of family, but mainly her siblings, not so much, definitely not her grandfather. Uh, You know, her mother was kind of uh, non-attentive. She really did uh, have a, you know, strong love for her sister and her brother, uh, which was kind of nice considering. Also, I also like the fact that uh, Janie is a hard worker. I mean, she didn't want nothing given to her. She believes that if you want something, you got to work for it.
3: Yeah. And we didn't, those weren't, those weren't things that like we made up, you know, to make her more likable. She really is a very likable person. And it's because of, it's because of those things. She is a hard worker. She's also very like practical thinking. And she also thinks very kind of in terms of black and white and right and wrong. Even though she's at that point of, you know, her life, she's young and her, you know, when she starts dealing, she's barely 20 years old and or not even quite 20. But even then, it's like you can see how it was weighing on her mind. You see how like things that are happening during the 80s are bothering her. And then at the point of when she finds out she's, you know, pregnant, then she's for sure like she's out. And uh, we... Those were just all things that, that are who she is. So it made it easier to make her that likable person. I mean,
1: basically, most of the, a lot of her business stuff, she was, you know, hands on, very hands on. Which you know, you would think she would ha- try to bring somebody in to kind of do some of these dangerous, you know, like transporting the drugs or whatever. She was pretty much doing all that on her own.
3: Uh, like I say, with more yeah. guts than yeah. I would have had. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think her sort of she really does subscribe to that philosophy of like I have to be the one to do it because I can do it right.
1: <laughs> and of course like in that kind of business I would imagine it's hard to find people you can trust to uh, do <laughs> what you want them to. I mean so right if you can't uh, if you can't get someone else to do it do it yourself. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Agreed. And we you know we usually talk about how to add on to the last bit we if, if she wasn't so driven and wired with good energy like if it was just a really hardened person who happened to go down this path we wouldn't have put the energy and time into telling the story it was the it was the uh is the journey and again the the feelings of knowing she's a good person and knowing she would do good things. In the middle of all this was really what a lot of what drew us in. We 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 weren't interested in just another story about someone that did some crazy stuff. This was um was important. Her character was a big driver for us to put this kind of work in. Yeah,
1: I think it and it really stands out. Also, you know, of course, you know her sister was uh, uh basically being abused by her uh, grandfather. Uh, and I noticed that that also affected her later on when uh, I think one of the people she was trying to sell drugs to was basically being a right. to a wife and she basically blew off the deal
3: because she wouldn't put up with it. Which right. again, let and, <laughs> and you understand why, right? Right, exactly. When, once you see her like do that and act kind of irrationally because if you didn't show that you'd be like, really, she just like blew off a bunch of money for because she's angry? It would it wouldn't work with her character. So you you're right. You have to see why she's triggered like that.
1: I said. I mean, I said, the whole thing was really well done, uh, and I'm. It's almost kind of sad that it ended after three three issues. Uh, but uh, that's no good though. Like <laughs> it leaves you
3: wanting more, right? Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> right. Like I said. Like I said, the only thing that actually happened to you know, of course, a lot in doing that kind of business. There's lots of things you can't control. Uh, I thought the ideal that we, where she ended up getting pregnant was probably the one thing that I doubt that was really something at that time in her life she really wanted to do. Uh, at the, but of course, as you said, that was more motivation than anything to, you know, trying to get out of it. Uh, and as you say, she was really, really lucky because usually I would imagine in that situation, you it's hard to walk away. I mean, because they won't let you. Uh, But of course, as you say, a bunch bunch of people got arrested and kind of cleared the way for her. So she was as much lucky as I would think as anything else.
3: And also it was kind of their sort of their ego. Like they just, they, I'm sure that they felt like, ah, she'll be back. You know, it was kind of like, ah, she can't stay away. And clearly she, they didn't know her as well as they thought they did.
1: was so. Like, was she the only one who basically was able to escape? I mean, I, you think even her brother ended up in jail?
3: I, I can't remember how many years her brother did. Sean, you might know.
2: Ten, Ten years. Or... Five, five uh, with the state and five with the federal. Oh wow. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, one of the people they were arresting people for all the way up to the statute of limitations. And I remember hearing that he had done like five years and gotten out, and then they went and found someone else who had never been arrested, and they had traced a bunch of uh, like FedEx or something, and, and uh, they showed up at his house and were really trying to get the source out in Colombia. And they said, if you don't tell us more about the Colombian side, we're we're gonna you're about to do five. And then he turned over on the guy, the brother that had done five, and the feds got involved, and they they pressed charges themselves after the state had pressed charges. So it was wow. like a ongoing. It was a big ring of people, and and in one of the most colorful, outrageous periods of American culture. Like what is more, what is crazier than nineteen eighty? to 1987 like like in hollywood california there's you can't even put it to words it's just it was absolute madness going yeah up.
1: and you know, generally speaking like i said there, were, there was you know in her business there was no poor people in involved in this thing these were all wealthy people who basically just had money to blow <laughs>
0: Yep. And,
3: you, and you have to you have to take two things into consideration too right uh <laughs> 1980s dollars you know uh and and the price of cocaine being what it was back then it's like two things on top you know you know i uh, i'm sure you know i'm sure an eight ball today costs nothing compared to whatever it cost back then and uh you know it was a luxury it was a luxury drug right it was a it was a, a It was a high-end luxury drug. It was really well
1: done. uh, Of course, uh, I think we said the third issue comes out here this coming month,
3: correct? March 3rd. It's supposed to drop. So hopefully (laughs) it'll land. Uh, Okay. So I've got one final question for
1: you. Every time I do these interviews, I basically throw out a hypothetical. And like I said, uh, uh, Hot Volley Days and Cocaine Nights is a very theatrical Storage. so let's just go this way okay so after part three is released it's cemented its place is a great series and someone comes to you so okay we'd like to make a tv series based on your book who could you see cast as Janie?
3: i have my choice you i'll let sean say his but he does he knows who i want
2: i mean there's some good act you know there's some good actresses that i mean you know, Emma Stone would be pretty great. Um, I mean, that's aiming, you know, you're aiming for the moon, right? Uh,
1: well, Karen, aim for the
2: moon. Karen Gillen, I think, is pretty amazing. Uh, those are, those two come to mind. Uh, Matthew? <laughs> Maya Hawk. I want my I want Maya Hawk
3: to play her. Like, to me, like, she's perfect like she's beautiful but not distractingly beautiful you believe that she can be tough and practical and all these things and on top of all that she's a great actress and she's you know she can play a little bit older she can play a little bit younger i think she's awesome i I love i think she's she's my she's my favorite actress to watch right now you've
1: thought this out i can i can see uh Got anything new coming out uh, that you want to talk about beyond this beyond issue three?
3: Matthew, is there anything you want to talk about? Um, I mean, the only thing really on my plate at the moment is uh, working with Sean to put together like maybe a couple of little great extras for the trade. Once we uh, once we get all three issues out, put together a really nice first printing of the trade. And uh, but that's
2: that's about it. That's what all I'm kind of got on my plate right now. Um. Wow. Uh, yeah I've, I've got a couple of movies dropping this year um,
1: <laughs> if you want to talk about it, called should, the free fall I'll,
2: I'll keep it really short yeah there's a movie called the free fall it's with Sean Ashmore and um, Andre Alondo from Narcos um, it's got an exec, one of the, our executive producer was one of the executive producers on get out uh, I think it'll be out by Halloween and then we have a movie with Stephen Lang uh, called Old Man. I'm um, an executive producer on that one, and uh, we just shot it during COVID, and um, we're in post now. So hopefully that'll be out by the end of the year, first quarter next year. All
3: right,
1: excellent. That's uh, that's pretty much all I got for you guys. Like I said I uh, said the book comes out March 3rd, and we're going to be uh, following it really closely. Uh, and we appreciate you guys spending a little time
3: with us. Hey, awesome. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thank you so much, Martin. It was awesome.
1: Thanks for listening. Come back again for another installment of GVN's Talking Comics.